change um, as a result of these racial justice organizations with more than 7 million members. So when we say there's strength in numbers, Rashad Robinson is that. And then we have Jason Hughes. He is a researcher and advocate in the Human Rights Watch uh, United States program that focuses on racial justice issues. So uh, we don't have a lot of time. We want to be on time. Uh, I'm a Southern Baptist, so you know when the preacher says, I ain't going to take up too much time. It's two hours in. He ain't even got to the announcements yet. We're not going to do that today. Um, so I want to kick off and, and turn to you, Demario, because you are at the center of this fight for reparations. And one thing that we've talked about, I'm sorry, I should introduce myself. I'm assuming everyone knows who I am. Hi, everybody. <laughs> My name is Tiffany Cross. Uh, I host the Cross Connection on MSNBC on Saturday mornings. And thank you all for tuning in. For those who do every Saturday, you, the audience, I look out and you all are exactly the people uh, who I want to make proud every weekend. So I thank you all for your support and tuning in. You make us proud. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, Demario, I want to start with you because you're at the center of this fight for reparations. And Compensation for the story that they use to leverage to raise this money. 
of it is people like you, Tiffany, people like Rashad, Ricardo Chains, Human Rights Watch, Angela Rye, Roland Martin, DJI, LUL, Sherilyn Eiffel, National Group, because you know what? Tulsa is the test case. Tulsa is the microcosm of our larger struggle. If we cannot win Tulsa, if we cannot get a victory here when we have living survivors, then how can we get a victory on the national level? So because you loved us so much that you came in and stood strong with us as we stood against the most powerful entity in the district, we were able to show the truth of the matter that while they're around about monuments and plaques and planting trees and building buildings, we're about building people, building our wealth, and getting justice. Thank you so very much for really what you have done and your beautiful, powerful program this morning and your resilience. And I, I just want to give her enormous applause. If we don't have voices, we have nothing. Mario, thank you. I always love a man that has a hyphenated name. Uh, so let me tell you that love is there. Um, and to my brothers and sisters who are here, uh, to Encobra, to the National uh, Commission on Reparations, uh, to Color of Change, to Human Rights, Houston, it's a pleasure, uh, to the 300 plus multiple multicultural organizations on HR 40, uh, to my sister who we have bonded and I'm so delighted. I serve as chair, she serves as vice chair. Powerful things will be coming. We're coming to support each other in so many different ways. Uh, Tiffany, I will never say that you are unright, but we have moved beyond uh, the original legislation written by John Conyers. Uh, may he rest in peace and rest in power. Um, it is important to take note of the fact uh, that the H.R. 40 was written one year after a Republican president issued reparations for our brothers and sisters who are Japanese Americans, who in fact were interned in the 1940s, property taken, unjustly, unjustly, without justice. And we, people of color, those of us who are descendants of enslaved Africans rallied around our friends on the Japanese American for Ronald Reagan to sign the Civil Liberties Act of 1978. I'm boasting about that because I am not a fearful person. That means I do not fear you. If you're in trouble, I'm in a ditch, I'm gonna keep out of your ditch. I'm not gonna be afraid of you. So as African Americans, my unangry approach is, don't be afraid of us. We too are Americans.
soldier on the battlefield before you're a general, but being a soldier under God is time enough to be able to lead them, provide for them. And so we have, it is a commission, not a strategy, not an apology, but it is then to act, and it is a bill. So it is a bill that then provides for the development of reparations proposals. That report then comes to the implementators, the people's representatives in the House our job is not to mouth words. Our job is not to pontificate. Our job is not to be on the floor of the house. Our job is to receive. It is to correct. It is to make things right. It is to repair. And my colleague who is in Ruth here, my dear friend, the Honorable Barbara Lee, stands with me as she speaks of reconciliation. We speak of repair. She knows that repair has to go forward. of the police officer, the warrant, and 
have quite a testimony. You're a survivor of domestic, police, and sexual violence. And despite all those things, here you are, a member of Congress, the first black woman to represent St. Louis, the first nurse to represent St. Louis in Congress. And no one can deny you are a woman of the people. Uh, and the people help elevate you here. So even in your life, I think all of the issues that you face are predicated on systemic and institutional racism and white supremacy. So the important thing to remember about Tulsa, it's a microcosm for the rest of the country. This isn't about Tulsa, it's bigger than Tulsa. It's about all our lived experiences. From your perspective, what would reparations do if Demario's successful in this case? What would reparations do? What would it mean for not just the people of Tulsa, but for the descendants of the enslaved people across the country? So because, first of all, let me say, in passing, thank you for making sure you kept this thing before our faces so that we can make sure that you take this thing as high as we can go. I'm so sorry, I have to say, I'm so sorry that the world has made this a t-shirt. But we're doing the work, we're doing the work to make sure that it's not just a t-shirt. Um, you know, just coming from a place where I didn't understand or know that the things that I was going through was not just my fault. You know, uh, just living the way that I was living, just always feeling like I couldn't get anywhere. You know, am I a bad person? Did I do this to myself? Is it, you know, did, like, what is wrong with me that I can't get out of debt? What is wrong with me that I work a low-wage job even though I'm taking care of somebody, of, of, of kids all day long and I'm teaching them how to read and teaching them Spanish and I'm doing all of this and I can't seem to, I don't even have health care and it's messing up my credit. I can't seem to, it was just so many things, payday loan cycle and, and, and just so much and I just couldn't understand, am I not worth more? How do people get there where they, where they have a life where they don't have to worry every single day if something is going to be shut off. Like, what does that look like? I have gone for my whole life, after I left my parents' home, that has been an everyday thing for me. My whole life, up until very recently, was am I sure that something won't be cut off? Am I sure that I have the money for my rent? Am I sure that I have the money for my car? No, car insurance, how do I pay that? I got to pay for this other stuff. Let's just be real. That was, that was my life. But not understanding that policy, policy affected my life in such a negative way because policy overlooked because systemic the systemic racism when we don't call it what it is when we don't talk about how institutionalized racism is when we don't talk about how it's in every single thread when we don't talk about how how white supremacy is in every single aspect of our country and every single aspect of life when we don't call it what it is we ended up there being in that institution. We look, when I think about my, I think about my, my home and I think about St. Louis, we're always number one, number two for murder, uh, for homicides, number one for police murder for year after year, number one for the murder of children by guns, all of these things. Is it, is it Tulsa? Is it Detroit? Oh, is it black folks? No. You know what it is? We started out started out at this disadvantage. We started out with this thing, this inequity. We started out them telling us we need equality. Well, we can't get to equality if you don't go through the door of equity. And then don't talk to me about equity if you're not giving me justice. 
and the, and the root of all of that has got to be love. Well, America don't love black folks, and we got to remember that. And so that's okay because we'll love one another. And, and the, the best way that we can love one another is to just call it out and say, you know what, you won't be doing good either way. So we go to the local level and go and, and do that work um, in, in, uh, in elected office. We go to the state house and do that work. We go to Congress and go to the federal office and do that work. So for me, what it looks like is, first of all, fighting. I always say Michael Brown, and I have to give honor to Michael Brown and to his family because that's how I got into this work. He would have been 25 a couple of weeks ago, a few days ago. When I think about him, say, well, what does justice, what does justice look like? Justice is, is Michael Brown being alive today. Justice Floyd, ju- justice is George Floyd bring, being alive, and Atantiana Jefferson, and 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 so many others. That's justice. We don't have that right now, and so that's what we have to fight for. How do we get that? Do work in Florida. Make sure everybody has a livable wage. I don't, I don't care what your job is. If you flipping burgers, baby, I want to make sure that you are flipping these burgers right. And you, I want to make sure that your mind is well and that your home is well. Because if you're giving me food, I need you to be taken care of. So, so that makes so a livable wage for everybody. Making sure everybody has health care. I watch my patients die. I'm a nurse by trade. I watch my patients die because they didn't have access to health care or they had access but no care. And so they were rationing insulin. Me and my cousin sharing insulin. That's how my patients died. And you know what? Because I know that I got to do something about it. And so making sure everybody has health care. Making sure each and every person has clean air, clean water. That's how we do it. Making sure we're investing economically in our community. Nope, I'm not looking for anybody else to do it. I'm kicking the door in myself, and I'm asking whoever want to come along with me, come along with me. And we're doing this thing fearlessly. We're we not asking. We're not begging. We're walking in and taking it. And to me, that's just when you save lives, I went to Congress to save lives. I came to help you until I saved your life first. So I went to Congress to save your life, and then later I can help you. The work that you all have done to make this conversation a national one is truly inspiring. And, and I want to say that right after this last week, after the last session, where when many people thought the best we could do in terms of activism in this country was clap outside of our windows or uplift and best creative journalism, it was racist sexism and nationalism that really motivated people to action, led to the uptick in voter registration, racial justice became a majoritarian issue. So the work ahead is actually making sure it becomes a governing majority and not accepting anything less. And the thing that we talk a lot about at at Color Pages, not mistaking presence for power. Presence is visibility, awareness, retweets, shout-outs from the state. It's the thing that people want to give us so that we go away. But power is the ability to change the rules. When we mistake presence for power, we can sometimes think we've done something that we haven't actually done. We'll mistake a black president for thinking we're post-racial. We will sometimes think that um, America-loving and celebrating black celebrities means that America loves black people as much as America loves black culture. And America can love, celebrate, and monetize black culture and hate black people at the same time. And those two things don't actually have to 
out the road ahead and the work that we have to do at Color of Change to mobilize our 7.2 million members, black folks and allies of every race. I think about both the founding of Color of Change, which was in the aftermath of a flood with the Hurricane Katrina, which was caused by bad decision making turned into a life altering tragedy. Katrina illustrated a lot of things that continue, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's so many other moments, because it illustrates things that are already missing in history, already in documentary of geographic segregation, generational poverty, the impact of what we've done to our planet, all the ways in which systems um, are not broken but operating exactly the way they are designed. And the thing about those moments is that despite all those things, even at the extreme extreme, no one was really without disappointing reputation. Government, corporations, and people. So our work ahead is really about building the power to force the solution to be nervous about disappointing, to do the work to hold the enablers accountable, to not simply go after the right wing, but to go after the corporations that play with the right wing and tell us that they're on our side and suffer our money by day but take away our vote by night. And then the final thing I just want to say about all of this is that we have to all of us are convinced of different stories, not just about what happened in Tulsa, but what happens in general when it comes to structural racism. Because far too often we tell stories about what's happened in our society, stories of inequality, like they're almost car accidents, like they kind of just happen, right? So we tell these stories and it makes us convinced of stuff, but we tell stories about inequalities that are unfortunate rather than unjust. We need charitable solutions to structural problems. And so what I mean by that is we will get people sending water bottles to Flint and then wiping their hands and going away instead of corporations paying their fair share of taxes so the pipes are actually clean. We will get people saying, let's do a service day at inner city schools instead of actually changing public education. We will get people saying, let's do reentry programs instead of ending mass incarceration when America has 4% of the world's population and 25% of the, of the world's incarcerated population. So it's not that black people are less likely to get a loan from the bank, it's that banks are less likely to get loans from black people. It's not black people are less likely to get hired by big business, it's that big business excludes black people from their employee ranks. Because what we don't need is more financial literacy programs from banks that have targeted, excluded, and redlined us from the very beginning. We actually need structural change. We don't need mentorship programs from corporations. We actually need them to end the racism inside of their ranks. That is how we translate presence into power, and we can only do it by coming together. So, you know, Tulsa, you have done so much work to put this on the national stage. And so I'm going to ask one more thing from you, not just from you, but as you think about the, the folks out in the world, we need to continue to build more power and more numbers. Because whether it is the work that's happening in Congress, or whether it's the work that we are trying to do in local governments around the country to bring about more equity, we will always need the backrooms of politics and elected public people lined up and ready. So I'm going to ask you to take out your phone because that's what we do at Color of Change. We translate energy into action. I'm going to ask you to take out your phones. I'm going to ask you to type Tulsa to 55156. Tulsa to 55156. That will sign you up to the work of the National Leadership Program. But I'm going to ask you to, to engage with people in your networks because what we're going to be doing at 
over the next years working to support HR 40, working to fight for infrastructure, working to fight at the local level to force prosecutors to be accountable to our communities, and working right here with you all in supporting DeMario and the survivors on the road ahead. So that is how Rashad Robinson is staying alive uh, through the work of Kellen Kane. And um, when you were talking about, you know, the sharing of infrastructure, you know, we don't need infrastructure programs. And I sure wish somebody from the Smiths could sing for you to hear that. Because um, I think that's a, a message, a word you gave us today. So three things. One thing that I don't think we do is we talk in reparations um, when I've engaged is, well, the talk of reparations makes people uncomfortable. And I could give a damn how uncomfortable people are and get comfortable being uncomfortable because this is a conversation that we're having. And this isn't really a revolution. It's an evolution. This is a dinosaur that doesn't want to be, be uh, extinct. How do we move this conversation into policy in a way that bypasses anybody else's
opinion. So, so Mario, I think uh, Reason raised some good points about Mother Fletcher, Mother Randall, and Uncle Red reliving this trauma, um, and the way that we bury and normalize trauma in our community. Something I thought was interesting, um, as you know, I spoke with Mayor D.C. Bynum uh, about this commission, and uh, Brother Nehemiah, who runs um, the Black Wall Street Times, his research, yes, absolutely, please applaud for Nehemiah. He has a very fascinating report uh, which unearthed some things about Mayor Bynum, his family, um, according to the census records of 1861, enslaved 987 uh, black people here in the country. And we asked the mayor about it. He says that you know he doesn't know anything about it with his official response. But I think the bigger point is he inherited his position in life. He inherited his wealth and has the temerity today to be against payout reparations to the people of the community, instead offering what Brother Rashad talked about, let's start with economic opportunity, whatever that means. So I'm curious from you and the people in Tulsa, who's in elected positions? Um, if the people in power are the enslavers, the descendants of murderers, the descendants of thieves, then how do we wrest away that power and put it back in the rightful hands of the people who once built this community and uplifted this community? build that power by what we're doing right here today, which is not just talking, but we're organizing together. We have a diverse group of individuals and organizations just on this stage. We have elected officials, we have powerful policy groups, we have powerful organizing groups, we have laws, and that's what we must do is we must pool our resources, pool our talent, and work together. And those, at this point in history, there is no ambiguity, there is no neutrality. Either you with us for truth, justice, and reparations, or you are against us, regardless of where you live or how you look. You got to pick a side. It's 2021. We have no time for ambiguity. A car parks in neutral goes nowhere. We're trying to go towards justice, as the scripture said. Before we can get to equity and equality, we must have justice, and that requires truth. The truth of the matter is, people like Mayor Bynum, who says he's against reparations, what he's against is paying black people what we are owed. That is what he's against. Because let me tell you something that happened during COVID. During COVID, all businesses shut down just like all other places in the community. The city of Tulsa, with the mayor's positive and excitement pushing it, created a fund to provide resources, direct cash payments to companies and nonprofits impacted by COVID. Now, did I have anything to do with COVID? So some of my tax dollars went to these companies that were impacted by COVID, but that's okay. But when it comes to black people receiving what we are owed, that is when the Dred Scott belief that a black man has no rights or the white man is bound to respect comes out. We must fight against that at all costs. And let me say one thing that interests me this week about this trauma. It's real. When I talked to Mother Fletcher, about the Watchmen, and I showed her a clip during her deposition. <laughs> and I think when we have these movies like Watchmen and Lovecraft and other movies, which is good for awareness, <laughs> mother, grandmother, when you see t-shirts that just have the name Smitherman, Stratford, these are real people. This real trauma, 
their narrative, and there has to be an acknowledgement of that. That's why in our lawsuits, one of the things we call for is a resources for emotional and mental trauma. And people need to be respectful before you do this documentary, this movie, whatever. You're talking about real flesh and blood. On the watching, which I think is a fantastic show, they talk about the dreamland spirit all the way through it. The Williams family is still alive. And they didn't receive zero from the watchmen. So the exploitation must stop across all platforms. Banks failed us, stole our money. Insurance companies failed us, stole our money. And now they're being re-exploited. So I appreciate you bringing up this comment because it's real. Even for descendants, who we are in contact with, Justice for Greenwood Foundation, we're in contact with hundreds of and we know scientifically, Congresswoman, that trauma can live through DNA. It can be passed down. That's a scientific fact that we've already known in our community. It's a scientific fact. So as you said, comprehensive, it must be comprehensive across all platforms. All exploitation needs to stop. Congressman Park, thank you. I, I want to ask you, Congresswoman, because Demario makes a really good point about generational trauma in our community. And one thing that I found
we had. Greens was what we had. Our diet came from what we had. And so we attempted to write the H.R. 40 legislation not to be narrow and not to be able to have our community say, well, what is it? It is a scientific, psychological, educational, economic, and political analysis of our condition today. And it takes and it builds upon the pyramid, if you will, of what I've just said, the broken, never fixed system of freedom that they gave, including, again, the lynching that went on. Then we went into a civil rights movement, uh, and we shed blood then. We shed blood in World War One, World War Two. We shed blood. We did it as good citizens, and yet we were broken. And PTSD is real. It is in the DNA. That's why you would ask the question, and then let me say to those negative folks, well, you got black-on-black -black crime. Don't say that to me. Okay? Look to the true actions that really can travel and be transmitted in the soil. We are on, I said it at the that was, City Club or wherever we were, excuse me, beautiful place, but we are right now on in Greenwood. This is Greenwood. This is where bustling communities, Mother Mac or the Mac family's house she passed by. That's what we were living in in 1921. Brick homes that no one gave to us. I took a moment to kneel on the grass ask my faith, my Christianity, my prayers to be able to get me ready for dealing with this. I wanted to touch the grass. I am told we are on Greenwood. I can't see anything. I can't see Mother Fletcher's home, Mother Randall's home. I can't see it. But my colleagues have to understand, as Regent has said, that there can be no distaste for reparations, because the wealth quotient now is so high, and I didn't create that. I did not squander my money that you gave me. I did not ruin my life. I didn't get anything. And so the government, I believe, and what the next steps are, and allow me just to call off Joyce Beatty, our chair, and Mr. Bartlett, and uh, Hank Johnson, Wilson, we are the executive committee, myself, Maloose, uh, and Brenda Lawrence, representing the Congressional Black Caucus and all their individual work. Our commitment, if you want to know for next steps, is that we are embracing H.R. 40, and that we hope and pray that we move it to the floor, that it is the action item of going into everything that we have talked about. That's, we will look to the criminal justice system, which is why we are still bottom, which is why Michael Brown I knew her, I was in Ferguson. I have this thing about killing a young woman before I can ever get a drink from it. And I told her how terrible it was. And how Michael could have just been any other boy, just go on home, or just let me just drive away. Why would he lose his life? Why would he suffer? Is his life so devalued that he thought it didn't matter? That you could just shoot? Remember now, that comes down through the ages. Somebody is taught that our value is not worth it. So H.R. 40 is to turn that around and to say, no, America recognizes that there is value. We didn't get the value. Mother Fletcher didn't get it. Your clients didn't get it. 
didn't get it. Greenwood didn't get it. And it passed it down. So that's the next step. When we did the commemoration, I don't want anybody to say what I did was good because I didn't do that. We never had anything in the congressional record to talk about the story. And the congressional black caucus was determined, thank you to Senator Warren who asked the bill, but was so determined to get it to the banker to get it at least into the 96,000 congressional record. That the story, the violence, found a way where you don't move those bills that fast, that I stayed here where that bill was passed in the House of Representatives, H.R.S. 398, that tells Tulsa Greenwood's story because we made it a priority. We now go to the next step. We're going to go to the next step of the bills that we all have, that are the bills dealing with the criminal justice. Ken Johnson has a claim bill as he is proceeding to go to court. But you have to be with us. So when we say next step, Watch us as we get reparations. Never in the history of the United States Congress was a bill on reparations ever passed in the Judiciary Committee or any committee. On April 14, 2021, that bill came out of the Judiciary Committee with flying colors. And what that means is it is ready to go to the floor. Right. It has been vetted by a House committee. Without any bragging, that's why she got on it. Most powerful committee in the United States Congress. It deals with your life. And so it got out of that committee, thank you to our Chairman Nassar, Cohen, and others. So now, folks, next step. Oh, I'm not saying that this is the panacea, that, that, that the light will shine and, 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 and the bricks and mortar of where places will live right now, and every question will be answered. But we will be in a position to demand response. And what that means is the report will come to Congress, and we as members, will then have the authority, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. As it is now, even with the American Jobs Plan, we are all in that. I support the American Jobs Plan. I don't want to go small, I want to go big. American Jobs Plan right now, let's go big. And let's work, you know, we're not selfish. American Jobs Plan doesn't have black people's name on it. So we go big, we're going to be all in the rim, all in the corners of Tulsa, all in the corners of Houston, corners of St. Louis, and every other corner. American job plan, let's go big. American family plan, let's go big. So the bills that the Biden administration is offered, we're prepared to go big. On H.R. 40, let's go big and analyze and present to the American people that the worst of black people and the burden of slavery and the wealth we created, we made cotton king. No taxation then. We made cotton king on our back. We made the transatlantic slave trade rich. We made the South, the land of South rich. We made the Wall Street Bank in New York. We made the commodities, the future in the Midwest. That was us. So you understand that have some black folks stand up and say, that was me. That was me. That was me. That was me. I can't hear you. My voice may be shrill, but it's not angry. I want to go with them to get it to the floor. I want to thank my leadership. And I want them to understand that somebody said it's repaired. It's repaired. So can we go to the floor saying it's repaired? 
so that no one will be angry and be saying, you've taken something from me. I don't want to take anything from you. That means we can get on the docket so that, and I'll say this and I'll close. You were right, Juan, my good friend, fellow saying, um, you've got to travel internationally to see our faith internationally. And in spite of what we get angry about, America is still perceived Had our moments. I, I know we, we've had some moments. But if you're struggling in some village somewhere, if you if you are human traffic somewhere outside of this country, minister to America is coming. Do you know the standing we will get internationally if we do this? I, I think I said at the beginning, I don't want to be redundant, but do, do you know that the, the headlines in the French papers on the continent? Africa. Do you know the headlines? Listen, they, they live off of, is America good? So I don't know why our folks want to fight this when we're giving them a gift. Do this and your standing to talk to anybody gets to be where, oh, uh, let me, let me, oh, America, they just gave reparations. Or they just passed H.R. 40. Or they just dealt and did what is right for people who were burned to the ground, bodies in the street. I, I said like this because I think some, some folks are struggling. It, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not anything difficult to do. And the one thing I want to say to folks that don't look like me, it is important to understand my pain. Because when you're in pain, because I'm an American, I want to help, you know, bail out companies that I don't have a dime in, but I figure they have somebody, somebody has a job because they got a corporation somewhere. The one thing I'll say about us, we're not offended. We get in other people's fights. We get in other people's ditches, and we go to grab them out. We stand behind other people and along other people. We don't want you to be undermined because you don't look like us, but you're in a ditch. I want people to understand that we have gotten in ditches with the system. So, America, you got to get in our ditch because we're giving a gift. And that gift is that if you do this in many different ways, you pull the people out like my sister who are still in ditches. Your Thank you, Congresswoman. Oh, we are well over time, but because you gave us such a word, and because my brother Rashad brought up some really good points, I would just leave you all with this, because I think it's important that we live beyond just hashtag activism. There are a lot of fights out there from voting rights to the lynchings that are still going on today. And I just want to say there are people in this audience who were the dream and the hope of what are you sowing into our community in 100 and 240 years? What will our children 200 years from now, if they are our dreams and hopes, what are we sowing into our community today? If everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot. So thank you all for joining this conversation, for your spirit and enthusiasm. For this
such a wonderful panel. And Demario, we are with you in this fight. Congresswoman, we're with you in this fight. Everyone else on the panel, thank you so much for providing great content.